Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening and welcome to the Wild Ginger Takeover with Marcus. <laughs> Jen Scottney. There we go. Excellent. We hope you're all really well as we kind of dive into February, a new month, that's January, over and done with. Uh, hopefully kind of ticking down the months before we get out of lockdown and we can all get back out doing some racing. I hope all your running's been going well through January. We've been seeing lots of people doing different kind of challenges and finding ways to motivate yourselves uh, during uh, January. So tonight, beginning of February, new month, who have we got on with us tonight, Jen? We've got Marco on, who is the founder of HRV for Training app, which is measuring HRV. And so, yeah, thank you, Marco, for coming. And I'm hoping that you're going to be able to demystify all of this for us. Um, so if you could just give us a little bit of a background about you and your app and what we're looking at tonight. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm Marco. I'm a scientist and developer. Um, I have a background in uh, computer science, engineering, PhD in data science, uh, another degree in sports science. Worked mostly at the intersection between um, human performance and health and technology and trying to build tools to monitor the body and physiology and basically decode that so that people could use uh, the data for uh, decision making in the context of you know better balancing stress and athletic performance and, and all of that. So that's also what led to HRV for training, which is um, basically the main product that we um, develop. And that's uh, an app to measure heart rate variability at rest as an assessment of uh, resting physiology. So how, how did so you came from an engineer. So have you not got a sports science background? Did you study sports science, or was it from that engineering experience that you had? And then your kind of activity of running. Did that kind of how how so how did the app come from? Where did it you know how did you suddenly decide right we need this or runners need this tool? <laughs> yeah, good question. So I think it came. Uh... Yeah, it was a, mi a mix of uh, the engineering background, the passion for running, um, and also it was, you know, the right time. It was uh, maybe about 10 years ago that we had the first smartphones, and then uh, I was doing research with uh, wearable sensors, like, you know, sensors to measure cardiac activity or brain activity and all sorts of things from the body, and it was all prototypes that, you know, consumers and people would never see in their lives because it was, you know, the very early days we had even no Fitbits, no anything like to, to, to monitor uh, physiology or activity. And then since we had the first smartphones, you know, you could finally start to build something that people could actually use via apps. And then we had um, Bluetooth 4 that came out, which was the first one where you could actually link a chest strap, for example, to a phone and make an app to use that, which before was not even that easy. So from there, I started looking at cardiac variability as uh, a proxy to stress. It was something uh, we were working on for different applications, more linked to work stress at that time. But you know, being a recreational runner, I was just interested also in that aspect. Um, and yeah, you know, from one thing to the other, and then building a way to make it easier for people to use. So just with the phone camera, so you don't even need a strap. Is cheaper. Um, again, it's you know first thing in the morning. The strap is sounds like something you know. It sounds no big deal, but it's actually very uncomfortable for people to use it. And you know sometimes you have to uh, put some gel or you know just uh, wet it a bit. Otherwise, it doesn't make good contact. There's like all sort of nuances that make it less practical. So developing a method through the camera that could do that validating that method so you know ensuring it's a valid way to do it it's accurate and then making uh, the whole process a bit uh, a bit more simple so that's uh, i think how it started and then maybe 
through that process, I got more interested in sports science, and I went back to university uh, just last year, actually, for uh, another master's in sports science here in Amsterdam. Um, yeah, which you know I found as a great opportunity to spend more time actually going back to the theory of the things that uh, I had been working on for years, more on a practical side. So it was, uh, yeah, eventually a good combination of things. And with heart rate variability, what is it that we're actually measuring and why are we measuring that? So what we measure basically is the time difference between heartbeats. So, you know, people are familiar normally with the uh, concept of resting heart rate, at least, you know, you measure your beat and it could be, for example, 60 beats per minute. But that doesn't mean that you have exactly every second one beat. There's always some variability between beats, and it turns out that this variability is actually very important because it's a proxy to stress. So this variability is driven by the autonomic nervous system. In particular, what we can measure is uh, parasympathetic activity, which is the part of the autonomic nervous system in charge of rest and relaxation. So basically, as this system is uh, become uh, more predominant, normally your variability increases. While if you have um, a strong stressor, your parasympathetic activity is suppressed and then your heart rate variability becomes more constant. So by measuring these things, we can actually figure out stress level on the body. Uh, and that's, uh, that's why we do it basically as a way to capture stress response. Um, I think, you know, we all understand that our capacity to handle stress is limited. Like we cannot take unlimited amounts of stress and, you know, there is work, there is family, there is training, there is the pandemic and it's a lot of stressors. So we need, you know, ways to manage that. Um, and by measuring HIV, you get an objective measurement and that can be helpful uh, in that process of you know, assessing how you're doing and making small adjustments on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And you mentioned quite a few stresses there. So it's not just, we're not just talking about training and overtraining here. Um, but does does all that different type of stress, like you mentioned with work and um, family and pandemics, does that all manifest in the same way in the body? Is that all going to be shown in our heart rate variability? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, we cannot separated so it's uh, you cannot tell if it, you're stressed because of training or if you're stressed because of something else um, and that's actually in my opinion uh, an advantage because if you were only concerned about training stress you would fail to see everything else that is actually key also to your training and, and racing performance because of course um, again we can only take so much stress and other factors always influence also our ability to train and to take certain training stressors and to adapt to that stimulus. So by looking at HRV, we look um, at a sort of overall marker of stress. And uh, that's uh, the way it responds to, um, yeah, to all sorts of things, even you know, what we could call just lifestyle. And you know, when we used to travel, you know, intercontinental <laughs> traveling and things like that, uh, you know, your body responds to that in a way that typically shows up in the data. Alcohol, the same thing. Um, so, you know, you have changes in there that are linked to the various stressors that, um, that you face uh, depending on life and, and training. And maybe just talk a little bit about how the app works. So how do you take a reading and how long does it take, for example? Yeah, so that's a great question, actually, because, you know, there is a lot of technology these days that you can use to do this uh, or to do similar kind of things to measure, you know, stress, whatever that is, uh, and um, heart rate viability and so on. So I think um, one of the most important aspects is actually how you do that. And that's simple, but it needs to be done in a certain way. Otherwise, it's not meaningful. For example, when we talk about uh, stress and resting physiology and what we want to capture with these systems, it really is your, um, let's say, chronic physiological stress, your baseline stress level. It's not, you know, your transitory response to uh, something very specific you did three minutes ago. So, for example, you need to measure first thing in the morning because if you measure after you had coffee, your HRV is reduced because, you know, coffee is, you know, stimulating and it's creating all sorts of processes in the body that are 
temporary and will be gone soon. And it's, of course, no problem to be you know, excited because you had caffeine and you did it because maybe you needed it. But at the same time, that's not what you want to measure because otherwise, you know, yeah, the app or the system will think that you're really stressed and that's not good, but it's not really true. So it's really important to, you know, just set a simple routine. Typically, the easiest is, you know, you wake up, you're still in bed, uh, lying down, and you take your phone and you do your measurements. So, you know, even before um, checking, I don't know, social media, all sorts of things that could upset you for any reason. So, also that, you know, <laughs> psychological processes, all of that will have an influence. So, it's important, you know, to just first take a minute to do your measurement uh, and then, you know, you assess resting physiology. And that's where you start. And then basically anything else later will be mostly transitory stressors unless they are so large, like say a very hard session uh, for training or some other stressors that are really worrying you, you know, throughout the night. Um, and then if you have these large stressors, then they will show up the morning after when you wake up, they will have an impact in this baseline physiology that we want to measure. And that's, you know, when you capture it. And you know, doing it first thing in the morning is also, I think, more uh, more helpful because it's actionable, right? You wake up and then you know you already have you know your state of your body for that day, and then you can decide, okay, uh, you know, my HIV was suppressed. Should I just you know maybe take it easier today um, to allow you know for that process to go back uh, where it was and you know prevent longer term issues, which could go from you know as you mentioned overtraining or burnout from a more psychological point of view, anything that is just basically a poor adaptation to chronic stress. Yeah, so you take the reading by putting your finger down your over the camera um, of your phone. Now, I mean, I was first introduced to this, like you say, 10 years ago, maybe it wasn't that, it might have been eight years ago I was first introduced using a heart rate app for kind of checking um, heart rate. and. As a coach, I'm always slightly skeptical on some of the infrared recordings because I know like how inaccurate watch heart rate monitors are. I know some people get really great data from them, but both as coaches, we see such an irregular amount of reading through watch ones, and we always recommend people using um, a chest strap. So how accurate is using that, that, that camera, and does it matter if we slightly move, or you know, do we have to be perfectly still whilst it's doing that reading? Yeah, so you make a great point also because, you know, this, uh, the, the technology can be used in different ways, you know, the optical measurements. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I myself spent like my life to, you know, get rid of the chest trap for the morning <laughs> measurement. But then when I train, I always have a chest trap. <laughs> yeah. I would never use an optical <laughs> because, you know, it's just totally random. And as you say, sometimes it can work, but, you know, do I want to go out and then hope it's that day and maybe get frustrated because my heart rate is all over the place? I'm like, okay, not using it. But you know, when there is no movement, then it's different because the whole issue with this technology is just movement. So that's why the watch um, struggles when you run. Uh, but you have, if you're just sitting at your desk, it's going to tell you your resting heart rate most likely very accurately because you're not moving. And with the phone, it's the same. So normally you measure while lying down in bed or you know sitting and there is no no movement so it's fine but indeed it's important to stay still so if you move around your finger you know the app can to a certain degree uh, adjust for that and account for the artifact and clean the data but you know only if there is a very minimal um, movement and, and these situations are you know well controlled for so normally maybe it happens you know the first few days that people need to get familiar with something that they are not used to, you know, like measuring with a phone camera. But then as soon as you start doing it a few times, I think it's, it's fairly simple not to move for, um, for just a minute. And then, uh, you know, that's a sufficient amount of time for the metrics we use. Uh, normally I would recommend not using more than two minutes uh, in any case, because sometimes, you know, for a heart rate variability in the older days, the clinical standard was five minutes. But these metrics that we used, um, it's been shown multiple times that they are as accurate for 60 seconds. 
and talking again about movement, then if you do five minutes, I think you introduce too much to the likelihood that you're going to move because it's just a long period not to move. So, you know, there are some trade-offs there. Uh, normally I say, okay, one minute or two minutes is a good time to do that. Um, and, you know, still the, the, the technology is similar, it's blood flow. So, you know, it, obviously your heartbeat, blood flows, it's quite easy to understand that it can work, but it needs to be under certain circumstances of no movement typically um yeah and you know many of the watches also that um we use for for exercise um cannot be used for this simply because they are aware of the issues uh with you know using the data during exercise when there is movement so from an, an engineering point of view they apply you know a lot of filtering of this data to make it more stable when you move but don't all this filtering that allows you to make it more robust during movement make basically the basic unit of information, the bit to bit difference, gets averaged out by this procedure. So it's just not usable, even if you're not moving, because the signal is used in a different way. Uh, and that's why many of the sensors cannot be used despite, you know, the technology being very similar. There are just many, you know, small details that eventually uh, limit the choice of the sensors we can use. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant because I have like when I've been looking at the app and if there's other ways of like, oh, do I have to use my finger? Can I not, you know, use my wrist based watch? I mean, that's fast. I, just, I didn't realize that they did that. I mean, yeah, I know the movements are key and like if you get a bit of sweat or well, not so much sweat, but kind of sun cream or any kind of lotion in there can affect um, the, the reading. But would you look at using a heart rate? strap with it or again is it just because of getting that connection with it with the bluetooth is it just easier to use the camera phone to get that kind that of depends. like um we we um, we enable you know both options like you can use the camera or you can use uh, a sensor the, uh, the compatible sensors are uh, most straps normally recommending polar because we validated it in the studies so we showed that it's uh, you know as good as an ECG, so very accurate strap. But I think also Garmin straps are good, um, so those work. Then uh, uh, in terms of sensors that are not straps, um, there is uh, this Kosh Rhythm 24 sensor, which is an armband, so it can be a bit more convenient, you know, for people. Um, so they went around this issue of the optical measurements by developing a sensor that basically a different, has different modalities. So you can say, okay, now it's in heart rate mode and I use it to exercise. So it's doing all the filtering and it's more or less accurate. But then you say, okay, now I put it in HRV mode and I take my morning measurement. Uh, but then, you know, you have a sweaty sensor and smelly sensor and all of that. It's always, <laughs> I think it's always good to have just one that you use just in the morning <laughs> or use the camera. So, yeah, uh, so you say you're like doing a test before you get your morning coffee or what your morning beverages, but say you kind of forgot, you know, to do your test. You're not quite in routine. You get up, you go downstairs, you make your cup of coffee, and then you're about to maybe either sit down, drink, or go to bed. Could you then suddenly sit down and go, "Oh, I better do my, my HRV now"? Can you kind of before you start drinking your coffee? Is it okay to have moved around, or you know, when you get to a certain age, you wake up in the morning and often you need to go to the bathroom first of all you know is it okay to have that bit of movement and then to come back and then do the test yeah yeah that's perfectly fine i think you know we say okay lie down because it's uh, typically the easiest but mm. you can always have a different routine um you know many people for example that might have um i don't know small children uh and it's like impossible first thing in the morning to do anything uh in bed or things like that and then uh, what you can do is just, you know, you go to the bathroom um, and then you sit instead of lying down uh, and you measure there, you know, uh, after you waited maybe 30 seconds that you restabilized, you know, physiology. Uh, that's totally fine. Like a different routine is fine, but you should always do the same. I think that's the important bit. So then you shouldn't sit one day and then lie down another day because, you know, your body is in a different position and these parameters change a bit. So as long as you do it always in the same way, then uh, it's fine. Actually, we did a study um, some years ago in which um, basically there was a team, you know, because in individual sports, it's easier to do these things. You know, you as a coach, you work with different athletes and if they are into this kind of things, they will use it. If they're not, they will not use it. And, you know, you just use it with some athletes, it's fine. 
But you know, in team settings, often either you do something with everybody or you don't do it. Um, so maybe the athletes would not take their measurements. Some sometimes they forget. As you know, when it is when you push something from the top, it's like everybody does this, and then it's different than when you just read it online because you're interested, and then you will do it. So there, uh, they try to check the difference. Okay, morning uh, when they wake up, and then two hours later at the facilities, so that you know we see if they all come here, and then we measure here. Does it still make sense? And the two were highly correlated, so it, it was you know um, a similar proxy to stress. But then it was a bit less linked to uh, load or performance and other metrics they they measure. So you know it gets a bit more noisy if you don't do it at the right time, which is why we highly recommend to do it that way. Uh, but there is room for for some for some changes for sure. And so I've got a well, I've woken up, I've done my reading on my phone for one minute, and then it's telling me a number. Uh, what is that number representing? All right, so the what you get there is your um, HRV, which is basically uh, most apps, uh, ours, but I would say at this point, uh, pretty much all of them, quantify this um, as your basically your parasympathetic activity, which means that the lower the score, the higher the stress. So it's the opposite of uh, resting heart rate. Resting heart rate, you know, you normally you want it to be a bit lower or stable and not to spike. And HRV is the opposite. So again, you also want it to be rather stable normally, uh, or trending very slowly towards higher scores. And if it is much lower, then there is high stress. And what's important there is that really um, the single score doesn't tell you anything. Uh, so you cannot compare scores with other people. Uh, there is not an optimal score. Um, I would say even less than for heart rate. You know, even heart rate comparing between people tells you nothing. You know, I was telling you before this morning I woke up a bit sick. My heart rate was 58. If I tell a doctor, he's gonna say, you know, okay, but you know, my heart rate normally is 49. So 10 BPM difference is huge. So clearly something is wrong. Uh, so you cannot, you know, just compare with others. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> when you have, uh, um, when you look at heart rate, you still have, broadly speaking, uh, for example, lower scores associated with higher fitness and things like that. With HRV, is a bit uh, the relationship is a bit less obvious. It's really about the stress response on a day-to-day basis, and to make sense of that. Um, you can only compare to your own data. So my point is always that, you know, collect, take your measurement, the first day, the second day, third day, fourth day, and then after a while, you know, the app will understand what's your normal physiology because it learns from your previous scores. And then it's going to be able to tell, okay, uh, right now your HRV is suppressed with respect to your normal and that means there is a lot of stress on your body. And that's, I think, the most useful bit because, uh, you know, again, it's uh, it's hardly any use to compare scores with others otherwise. Yeah, I mean, Richard Peeve has asked a really interesting question, which I was going to then kind of lead into as well. So when you've done the reading, you then do the kind of um, the metrics on the app, don't you? which kind of asking you kind of about your muscle soreness, your sleep. Um, I always find muscle soreness interesting, especially if I've not yet got out of bed. It's kind of like, am I am I sore? Am I not sore? You know, should I go for a week sick move first? Um, so oh, we apologize everybody there for Sherlock suddenly barking at <laughs> dog or somebody barked outside. Sorry, that was very loud. So uh, one of you suddenly had a bit of a shock. Maybe that just wake you up. Um, but uh, we need to apologize about that. Yeah, so how do... The, the metrics, so how did, first of all, how did you come to decide those are the metrics needed? And then how are they then impacting, do they, what, do they change that number or is it the colouring they change? Oh, over to you. Yeah, great question. So, you know, here I started with, uh, you know, a set of uh, things that mostly would allow people just to track uh, context, you know, because physiology without context 
you know what 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 do we know uh, because on a daily basis basis okay you know the score and maybe you can do something about it but then when you look retrospectively at the data um, you know here there was a change but what was i doing right was i traveling did i drink uh, did i train so mostly it's just for the people to track context and and figure out what uh, drives changes in their own case. Um, much of the questions derive from uh, you know conversations with coaches and people that maybe used more standard and slightly more complex questionnaires um, about important aspects to track in in sport and in sport science. So it's just um, let's say a simplified version of that, so that you have um, some useful parameters there, and also because you know. Everybody is always looking for this, uh, you know, magic metric that is going to tell you everything. But HRV is one thing, right? It's one aspect, and yes, it's an objective measurement of stress, which is great. At the same time, you know, it's uh, it's funny to me when people are um, uh, discussing about, you know, the um, um, using HRV or use, asking the athlete how they feel. To me, it's not or. You should use both, right? You should, because you use the technology, it doesn't mean that you don't talk to your athletes anymore. You can still yeah. ask them how they feel. So it's just um, uh, a way to have, you know, what I think it's at the basic uh, information, you know, training load, training you prescribe and the training you do. Subjectively, how you feel, you know, if you are sore, that's not going to show up in your HRV. It's just another little process. So it's good to track it so that you also have that information. And then objective stress, uh, which is HRV. So, you know, with all of this, then you try to get a bit closer to the full picture um, and, and make smarter adjustments. In the app, when, when you fill in the questionnaire, we do use some of these, uh, um, let's say, parameters to provide the daily advice and the color coding, not for the numbers. So the numbers you see, that's always entirely physiology, so it's just HRV or heart rate, and it's never influenced by the questionnaire because, uh, you know, you could always come up with recovery scores and things like that, but I think at the end of the day, you know, you're just uh, hiding all the different, different information that you could actually look at in terms of, you know, HRV, stress response, and subjective scores, so it's, uh, I think it's better to just look at the HRV itself, which should um, incorporate all the processes that were happening. If there is a poor response, it's going to be lower. Otherwise, it's not. And then um, the um, the app will tell you, for example, your HRV is within your normal values, which is you know what we normally want. We want things to be stable. And then it's going to tell you maybe your subjective scores were trending negatively, which means maybe you said okay, I slept poorly, and I was sore, and, and things like that. So that's uh, combined, but is specified in a way that normally you can tell which one of the two is, uh, is causing, for example, to get a yellow instead of a green. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, we always have to try to take the information and convert it into something actionable. Uh, so that's the process uh, we use. But the, the numbers are always there in terms of uh, just the physiology and um, the significant change or not with respect to your history, which I think is the important bit. So is today, just a bit lower than yesterday, which means nothing. It's all normal and that's just how things have change on a day-to-day -day basis. Or is it really so much suppressed that something is odd and you know you should uh, pay attention? So <laughs> to give <laughs> Yeah, so I've got some questions about the advice that it gives. So it's saying like if you come so there's two questions. First is like sometimes I feel really stressed and run down and I'm expecting a low score, but sometimes I'm not. It kind of catches me unawares. So it's kind of I wanted to ask a little bit about that. And then following on from that, it's like with athletes, we have our program, it's we have our key sessions. And to change it on the morning, because this app is telling me that I have a red box, I guess that's quite a big decision to make. So it's how confident you are or what the studies show about suddenly, yeah, let's not do the intensive session. Let's drop down to something easy. All right. So regarding the, uh, let's say, unexpected low score, I think that's something um, that we should pay attention to mostly because um, there are situations in which your body might already be doing something and you don't know yet. For example, the simplest case is you're getting sick. 
Um, so your body is already fighting an infection, and that's shown in the data. But that uh, something that maybe you don't feel yet, or you don't have other symptoms yet. Um, and you know, it's not going to be a week before. It's going to be best case one day, two days, um, but rarely. Typically, it happens, and you already have some symptoms, or maybe it's a day earlier. So you know, in that case. Uh, it's it's useful, of course, to you know just uh, be a bit more mindful uh, of that situation so that you don't um, you don't mess it up uh, basically because then you go hard on that day and it's gonna be uh, more problematic when everything else um, you know comes and the other symptoms and you start realizing all of that. So, but that's a specific case, right? I can see it's hopefully unusual um i've just had two two low scores yeah. and then a high score today and i felt worse today on my last two days training's been really good right but i had two <laughs> low scores and then today was high and then i felt rubbish on training was it so my body was already kind of maybe fighting something and then today it was like well, you're okay but when i went running i was like <laughs> maybe you felt the previous two days and uh, yeah, it's in the snow <laughs> yeah. i think in general uh you know to um, basically look back a bit with this and also the previous question on adjusting training. Um, There are different ways we can go about this. I would say that the research is more solid on uh, looking at uh, baseline, so weekly changes with respect to just the daily one. So that means that, for example, before we um, prescribe a reduction in training intensity with respect to what was scheduled, you don't do it the first day you have a low score, but you wait that basically you have a couple that drive your baseline a bit down below what is normal for you. So there have been studies in uh, runners and cyclists showing that, uh, you know, two groups doing different periodization. One group it would be just, you know, um, a typical training plan. They usually, you know, load the load and high intensity and lower intensity and all of that. The other group would be exactly the same. But once their HIV is below their normal values, then they would scale down the intensity. So say there was high intensity training, there was, uh, I don't know, they would do easy easy training or moderate intensity, or if it was an easy training, maybe they would take a day off. So they would just scale down in that occasion. And that means that at the end of the study, this group ends up doing a little less high intensity work because sometimes they have to skip it. But then when they do performance tests, this group performs better. So that tells you that basically, you know, when you do the work, you need to be able basically to assimilate the stimulus and respond to that. And if you do that when your body is already in a bad shape, so to speak, you know, a lot of stress is already there, you're just not going to respond positively to that. Um, and, you know, when, when we talk about it this way, it seems obvious, right, that your body is already so stressed, like, why would you stress it so much more and then it's just going to impair the whole process. Um, but yeah, once you are in the process, it's a bit more difficult to make the call and say, okay, I skip high intensity and it's going to be better for me. It's very difficult to convince people that that's a thing. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> so, so I think, uh, you know, on a practical level, uh, it depends also on the athlete. Like some people, uh, they have a low score one day and that happens only if really something is wrong. So they maybe they also feel it themselves. So, you know, you by measuring first for a long period, maybe without doing any changes, you just learn how your body responds to these kind of things. Other people, one day with a lower score is nothing and they really need to accumulate a couple to show that there is that stronger stress and then you should maybe at that point only make a small change. Typically, it's really nothing, um, yeah, nothing too, um, too difficult in terms of the planning. Uh, what these studies show, show is really uh, just a reduction of the intensity. You can still train, especially depending on your level. You know, maybe you train every day, many hours. So a lower score doesn't mean that you shouldn't train because you are used to train. I don't know, as a runner. 10, 12 hours per week is a fair amount of hours, right? And then maybe that day you just do a low intensity, you know, aerobic exercise instead of uh, the session just scheduled and then you see how it goes the day after. So things like that, it seems to be helping in the longer term as well, which I think is, uh, is what matters eventually. Yeah, I mean, Richard also touched on this slightly and I think we were talking about this as well, but so the, the app asks you whether or not you've had any alcohol 
the night before. Um, <laughs> and, and, and at times I kind of feel a bit like I've got, you know, my parent in the room going, oh yeah, I had a, had a drink last night. H- how much do things, so we, we, we know it's picking up kind of stresses and um, things, what, you know, impacting our body. Does things like alcohol or the amount we drink, does that have an impact as well on the score? Yeah, so uh, what you annotate, it doesn't matter what you do does. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, also that's personal. Obviously, you know, like anything else, uh, people respond differently to alcohol. Normally what we see, uh, you know, in the data or reports from users is that, you know, a moderate amount is, is fine, you know, having a beer, a glass of wine. Normally there is absolutely no impact in resting physiology when you do that. Um, and in Dolly, when, you know, you go a bit beyond that, and then there is uh, a large difference. Normally, you don't even need to look at HRV for that because the resting heart rate is already being going to be like very elevated with respect to your normal. So um, I think that's one of the stressors uh, together with uh, getting sick. Um, menstrual cycle for people with a menstrual cycle, with a regular menstrual cycle, uh, that's something that shows up, um, you know, quite well in the data. So those kind of things that you see also in resting heart rate typically uh, it's you know, a significant stress on the body while HIV captures also maybe sometimes more subtle stressors and in the context of the training response I think it can be more helpful because to have large changes in heart rate on a day-to-day basis with training is um, yeah I would say it's difficult that changes are always so small that it's difficult even to understand if it's just a day-to-day variation or not plus I think heart rate changes more with fitness. So, you know, if you take an untrained individual and go through training, of course, there will be a large decrease in heart rate. And even, I would say, a fit individual when you go from, you know, off-season to peak um, shape during race season. And so there will be significant changes in resting heart rate, while in nature, we not necessarily, because it's more useful as this continuous feedback loop to figure out, you know, how is it going today or this week with respect to the various stressors, how can I adjust it so that what I optimize in the longer term is really performance, is not HIV itself. And I know, you know we're both advocates of using heart rate in training, but for quite a few runners, it's something a bit like, uh, you know, come, they feel a bit restrictive because of, you know, maybe showing they're working a bit too hard. So they've got to ease back, which doesn't look so good on Strava. They're doing slower runs. So it's not good for the ego. So do you, you know, I mean, I, I kind of guess, I can probably guess what you're going to say on this, but would you recommend that, you know, you have to be using heart rate training to get the best of using this app as well? Or can you just use the app on its own and not worry about heart rate training and just leave that to one side? I think uh, that, you know, in general, it's uh, always a kind of an holistic approach you need to take, you know, if you measure your HRV and your stress response, but then uh, you drink a lot, you eat terrible diet, and then you exercise always crazy hard, and then, you know, maybe your HRV is going to be fine just because it's constantly suppressed. Like, you don't even know what's actually your normal because you never went out of that hole. So I think, you know, you should always try different things that might help you improve. And, you know, heart rate during exercise, obviously, personally, I'm a big fan <laughs> because, you know, it's uh, it's just internal load. So you see what your body is doing. And, you know, it's uh, if it's a hot day or it's a humid day and people are like, oh, heart rate changes in these conditions, so it's not useful. That's the Exactly. <laughs> that is why it's useful. <laughs> it's because it changes, because it's uh, your body is working harder, so you should just go slower. Um, and yeah, I get it. it's difficult sometimes. Uh, our big ego, it's, uh, it's always there. But uh, yeah, in, in my view, it helps. Um, and you know, I trained much. Uh, I mean, I'm not any good, but uh, I I love running and I train much in the past without um, heart rate or without worrying much about my heart rate and without even knowing it, I ended up was in that always moderate uh, sort of training, moderate intensity, uh, making zero progress. And I still did my harder sessions, so to speak, my intervals and so on. But the rest was just not slow enough for me because people are different and, you know, it was a slow pace with respect also to the hard pace. But for me, I had to go like really polarized as much as possible 
and then you know that led to improvements that were like um, yeah way beyond what they could have expected and again still being not good at all and recreation around and all of that but it was um, yeah it was eye-opening like how much you can improve just by listening to your body <laughs> so you know obviously um, yeah that it was easy to understand but it's at the same time what I want to say is that I was already developing the HIV technology those days and still I didn't understand the training process as well so there are you know it's very nuanced and there are many aspects to take into account and there isn't any single aspect that will make you progress if you you know don't try to have this more I think holistic approach and look at different things and experiment also because you know we have uh, guidelines and things that seem to be working for someone and for others especially in sports science um, sports science sometimes is like politics. I mean, it's a lot of opinions, and it's difficult to understand. Um, so, it's uh, I think it's good to to try out things and experiment, and maybe one month, you know, if um, if you need to take it slower with your training and use heart rate and see how that goes, um, it could be yeah, it could be valuable. We've had a question from Colin which um, we've talked about kind of maybe limiting intensity of training depending on the scores. But Colin's asking if that could go the other way. So he says that um, it applies to looking at when you increase your intensity of training, when you get good readings. Is that something that we can look at as well, is trying to plan that around what readings we're getting? I think it's difficult um, for various reasons. One is um, that it's, you can always scale down intensity, but you cannot always go hard because of other limiting factors that have nothing to do with HRV. Muscle soreness, for example. I do a session, maybe I respond great, and the day after I'm fine, and it's, you know, HRV is within normal and all of that, but I'm just unable to do anything for three days. I mean, I can run, but I cannot do a workout, right? So that's why it's more difficult to make those changes because then, um, maybe you take other bigger risks from, you know, an issue with uh, you know, overuse injuries and all sort of muscular problems. Um, so that's a challenge. Another challenge is, uh, you know, sometimes people take it too literally. They use HRV and then HRV is what guides you without the training plan. So, you know, it's, it's HRV is good or is high and then I go hard until it's not good anymore so you know that's <laughs> the wrong way you don't want to go there like you should never be you know in below your normal like if everything is going well you're always within your optimal zone so you know training plan first and then <laughs> not HRV first in certain maybe in cycling it's a bit easier sometimes you know there is a bit less um, yeah muscular damage so sometimes you can maybe make some adjustments uh, I think in general yes uh, if uh, your data is is good it shows that you can take the stimulus provided that you uh, still give you know your body enough time to recover and and I think that is just regular periodization um, but um, yeah in general I think it's more applicable to do the intensity reduction when you're stressed than to go the other way around. And when you talk about intensity reduction, like for a lot of our athletes, they have quite a high like duration. Is that something you mean to limit as well, the duration? Are you just talking about the effort, the intensity of the session? Yeah, it's a great question. And honestly, I don't have the, um, the, the truth <laughs> answer. I'm, Can uh, I just cut an hour off my run or something like that? <laughs> so my view in general is that time is okay. Like, uh, or at even, uh, yeah, yeah, myself, I also tend to do this a lot. If, okay, it's slow, uh, I don't go hard for sure. Yeah, that's the biggest stressor. I think it's always the intensity. I think that's also what you see yourself. Like, if you go very hard and you do a session, then, you know, the afternoon, maybe, you know, I need an extra coffee or a nap and my meetings are a bit like this. But, you know, if I go long, typically it's not the case. It depends a bit how you react. Or respond to that um, but being the intensity really the the issue and the stressor uh, you know longer run longer ride uh, you know, obviously it's a different muscular damage again but it's uh, I think from the HRV point of view yeah there hasn't been any systematic study looking at this but my feeling would be 
that it's uh, it's fine to keep uh, training and keep the the duration. And you know, obviously, again, based on how you feel, it's not just a number. So <laughs> if you do feel that it's not a good day, I mean, I told you again, like this morning, I had a low score. I felt a bit sick. Uh, I was supposed to run uh, with a friend. I said, okay, I, I'm not coming. It's, uh, uh, you know, you never know or so these days. <laughs> but I have to stay alone by myself. And then I went out for 20 minutes, short run. I said, okay, let's see how I feel. I go very slow. Uh, and, you know, I just didn't feel it. It was just not that day. So I came back here. Uh, but, you know, I think sometimes with running or, you know, in, with sport in general, sometimes you have to feel also how it goes when you start moving. So uh, it's uh, it's good to... Uh, go out with an open mind. That is also extremely difficult for athletes. <laughs> but <laughs> that, I mean, the ability to change once you have already started, I think it's a great skill. So <laughs> it takes time to, to develop it, but it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's that maturity, isn't it? But also really ha- knowing how the body's responding, isn't it? You know, like you say, it's one thing looking at the number, but then really kind of feeling how the body's responding. So you're saying after using it for a while, you get to kind of know the baseline. Can you use it like leading up into a race to make sure you're kind of tapering down into it and then post-race, you know, right, you know, my HRV is getting back to normal, I can start training. Can we be using it in that kind of build-up and then kind of post-race to make sure that we kind of should be getting back into normal training? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So as you build up with your training, you know, you increase, you know, volume intensity through your training blocks and all of that. Normally, what you want to see is, you know, that scores are stable, uh, potentially even slightly increasing uh, if you are responding well. We see that in many, many good athletes, you know, triathletes um, go to Kona, they never have uh, a low score apart from the day after Kona. You know, that's how it is because normally if you train well and you have good periodization and you take care of again everything that is around training you should always see things be rather stable or improving as you build up your training because you know your body is getting uh, also fitter so maybe you see that also reflected a bit so you can see that um, typically well in the data as well as changes maybe if you have big event that you prepared for for months typically you know the effort is going to be uh, significant and then there's going to be a drop uh, afterwards and you know it's going to take some time before numbers go back to normal um, sometimes these change that you have after afterwards or in the off season and so on you know it it again it's not just the only thing that matters i think it's important that you're allow time to your body to recover from that point of view but it could be that other parts require more time again depending on the sport the event maybe muscle damage is going to be um, more significant and maybe for shorter events and things like that then this component becomes the one that should drive you know when you get back into more structured training and things like that would you, would you see obviously like you're saying going like something like Kona so the athletes you know you got a lot of kind of traveling and you know, having unfortunate to race in different places around the world it's quite a stressful experience for traveling experience sometimes you're sat on a plane for 18 hours and uh, not able to move and plane food and then you're kind of in a hotel it, so you'll see a, would, would you normally see a reduction then in your scoring up you can just go well that's just kind of travel impact upon uh, my score and that, that's okay as long would you then expect it to kind of normalize a day or two after or can like that pre-race nerves or stress pre-race impact the score yeah. as well yeah for sure so normally you just want that to be just a transition and to go back quickly to normal sometimes you see that that's not the case uh, and typically that was manifest in something negative meaning you know maybe it was not just the trip it was also the food and what else and then maybe you're getting a bit sick or something like that and don't perform as well you know, it's, uh, it's always difficult when you race far, uh, far from where you live, and it's, uh, it's a lot of different aspects. But otherwise, yes, you would expect things to renormalize quickly. On the, you know, race nerves and things like that, race day, race day, I think the score doesn't really matter. Uh, first of all, you're not going to make any changes. So if, uh, if there's a lower score, sometimes it's just, first of all, you are waking up at an hour that is probably very different from your typical hour where you wake up. So that's also an, uh, a factor. And then you might be excited or stressed and there is all sorts of things. So if you're stressed, 
again, or excited for the race, it's normal that you are less parasympathetic, but that's also uh, it's also good on a race day. So we have a modality in the app where you just say, okay, I'm competing, and then when you're done with the questions, it doesn't show you the score. So you don't get influenced, which is good. Then you can look at it later. Uh, so it's a bit, um, so that way if you wanted to know, then you can know later instead of not taking the measurement. But in any case, I would recommend, you know, uh, especially if you know that this kind of thing can mess with your head, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, That's it. I can't race today. Apps says no. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, I've had a bad race. I'm blaming Mark. Uh, I looked at my score this morning, and that was it. It went went down down the pan there. So so yeah. So that's great. Yeah, and I think you know that post recovery. You know, keeping an eye on it, seeing how that muscle soreness and how the heart rate's recovering is a really great tool. I mean, and talking as a tool. So you've got the desktop version as well as the app. Is that right? Is when I've been looking online. So how does the desktop version differ to the app and is one better than the other? And should I be subscribing to the desktop? So the, the app uh, has uh, already everything I would say. So there's all the features to be to measure with the camera or not and uh, analytics and all of that. I think the website version is uh, mostly for a longer term view. Say you use the app for some months and you have some data uh, then it gets interesting. Otherwise, not as much because you need to build all this historical data. Once you have it, it gives you, you know, the ability to look in more detail and these long-term trends, changes with respect to your normal, um, you know, visualized in a nicer way. Also, both your physiology and the contextual information that you love, training and subjective scores. So I think at that point it becomes useful. Apart from if you're a coach, and then you can also use it to track your clients and things like that. Um, yeah, so I would say mostly in that context. Brilliant! Excellent. Yeah, I think that one really um, positive part of it is just having that awareness and reflection on what's going on in your life. Because I feel like if my tra- my data, like if my baseline starts trending negatively, although I don't know the one thing that I can do, and there probably isn't one thing that I can do to stop that, at least it makes me look at, well, what's my training, but also what's my lifestyle, what's my stress like how can i manage that so i think that that's a really really good part of the app to just give you that constant reflection yeah 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 i'm glad to say that that's why we do it i think awareness is really drives me more than uh performance it's really like you know get see you know what the, your choices the impact that they have on your body and then try to balance that better i think uh, it can be powerful outside yeah. the sport yeah yeah, yeah. yeah well, I was gonna say can we use it even if we stop running tomorrow and I go back to my previous job as like some stressed lawyer I'm guessing <laughs> those readings are still valid of what's happening with my um, nervous system yeah yeah exactly I think you know we typically we focus on sports because athletes are motivated to do this <laughs> to wake up and measure their data because they have their goal you know no matter the level everybody's so driven by their goal so that makes you do it uh, and you see it even in athletes actually you know off season uh, they drop it like you don't measure even though maybe it would be interesting to see the difference there and things yeah. like that but then you know the goal is gone okay I don't do this for, for some <laughs> weeks and, that, and then I get back into it. so I see that a lot with uh, with athletes and people. It's perfectly normal if you're sometime a bit less driven than uh, I think uh, even just one minute in the morning uh, can feel like an effort. So I think that's why it's uh, more difficult to bring it to um, other um, anything else that is not sport, despite the fact that what you measure is just the autonomic nervous system and stress. So uh, yeah, it could be helpful in, in many different situations. And is that something you would think about kind of using the software, which is in in the app to kind of maybe more lifestyle? Because there is a big kind of push, isn't it, with mindfulness and kind of calm apps and people wanting to understand what their stress levels are. And even the British Medical Journal kind of was talking about the app. Uh, I think you shared on the website one yeah. article from there, which is that must have been great mm-hmm. to have seen uh, the app talked about. Uh, in the British Medical Journal, but you know, have you ever thought about like, yeah, let's maybe try and kind of either market it or create it in a way that people can then just m- measure their own stress levels 
in day to day who aren't athletes or people who are very active? Yeah, so um, what we do is just build tools for uh, a research that looks into this. So we do that and we have like generic apps that you know are not as uh, focused around training but are also not really a user-friendly uh, lifestyle product. It's more of a, um, yeah, a research tool that many universities use that look into you know the effect of um, I don't know, substance abuse or psychological stressors and um, like all sorts of things that are not linked to training, but of course everything is linked to human physiology. So that's, um, yeah, that's how it goes. So we support that kind of work and, you know, we are a small independent business, so we cannot do everything. It's just something you have to accept. And uh, yeah, we have the tools and provide the tools uh, but at the same time uh, yeah we I think our scope is mostly at this point um, around training and uh, and the research part is uh, yeah that anyone can use it the way they want but it's less consumer and more research brilliant excellent and, and so if people are interested in finding out more about it if we put the links to the, to the website down below the people can kind of find their way there um is there ever any other i mean you're, you're quite active on instagram as well we see you quite a bit on on instagram and you've also got quite there's a community as well isn't there of um of athletes and ambassadors yeah yeah we have uh, the instagram channels and twitter and uh the websites and try to blog a lot about you know even just case studies and show the data and what is happening with people tracking things and often it's just helpful that way more than um, you know the papers and, and all the science is where you have to start but then it's not easy to take that and uh, relate it to what is happening to us in daily life so I try to share a lot of the process as well of simple things and you know what's happened when we do this or that and I think that can be also insightful and well, at least I hope it's uh, it's helpful a bit to, to learn how to make use of the data and what adjustments you can make. Fantastic. Thank Brilliant. you. Yeah, thanks for coming on and talking to us. And I think you're making it really accessible to what can look quite complex. Definitely. And people who have been tuning in have, you know, quite a few people have been already saying how much they use the app uh, and one or two people are actually well, like, your explanation of it's helped them, and I think they're probably going off now looking at their app store, <laughs> going, oh, down, downloading it, hope you're going to test it out. So, yeah, thank you for, for coming along, and especially when you're not feeling 100%. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you. And one final, yeah, yeah I mean, if I can just ask one final question. So we talked about doing yeah, a reading sure. in the morning. What about in the evening? Would it matter if you did the reading in the evening? Did that make a difference? Sorry, I know we're running up to an hour almost. Depends how stressful your day's been. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's um, it's something uh, normally I recommend not doing, even if you are you know relaxed and maybe just before sleeping you're in bed and you think, okay, now I'm like later relaxed is the moment to do this. But the thing is that actually you're just most likely again capturing some transitory stressors, even just depending on what you had for dinner, um, you know, whatever you did even an hour or two earlier and things like that. And it's also just less reproducible. I think what matters is really that you do it in the same way. And in the morning, that's easier because you have almost nothing to control for. You just woke up and you haven't done anything yet. Well, in the evening, a lot of different things happened. Uh, and that's the reason why the morning is uh, is always preferable. It's not really about maybe even being the most relaxed moment. It's really just being a moment that is the same every day. I think that's the most important aspect. Yeah. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, there we go. As we come to an end to our evening as well. Thank you so much uh, for coming on this evening and sharing with us, Marco. It's been great. And uh, Rich has just come to the end and it goes through to training peaks as well, which, yeah, for coaches, <laughs> it's great that we can get the, the data on training peaks. So thank you very much for joining us this evening, thank Marco. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that was absolutely amazing. I now know so much more now about So you're actually app. going to do it every day? <laughs> I, well, actually, yeah, well, yeah, I, Marco can still hear us. He's still there. I'm all right. <laughs> I do it every day. <laughs> I may have missed a few days over Christmas, but it was Christmas time. It was busy. Brilliant. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you for everyone who's joined us this evening. And if you're listening in on the podcast or watching back, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this evening. hope you found it very, very interesting. Um, and if you have any questions about heart rate, stick them down below and we will try and answer them as well and maybe even pass them on to 
um, Marco as well if there's any questions about the apps. Uh, next week we have an amazing guest on, one of my favourite ultra runners. We have Lizzie Hawker coming on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're going to hear some stories from Lizzie. She's going to be talking about the race she organises as well. So hopefully you can join us. Thank you, everybody, who's been listening this evening. Stay safe, and we'll see you all next week. Take care. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information that I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.